Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class, uh, Abba edition. Breakfast in the Class today is sponsored by Sammy Sutton, dedicated in honor of his wife, Michaela. And in celebration of their marriage, may they be blessed with all the best. Mabruk, congratulations. What a magnificent day it was yesterday. So special. The heavens really uh, were open wide uh, to welcome, uh, what's it called, a, a brand new couple into this world. We should be zocheh, Be'ezrat Hashem, that that, should be, that energy should spread to all those that need Shiduchim and Be'ezrat Hashem build beautiful Jewish families. Rebbe's in the class also dedicated loving memory of Ms. Lily Safra. Our philanthropy has reached so many throughout the world. Um, breakfast in the class is dedicated in honor of his wife, Rachel, uh, Ra- Rachel Mira, and in celebration of their wedding anniversary. By Benedetto Mevorach Kahlun. May they be blessed with all the best. Mabruch. This is beautiful. What a special day. Hazak Baruch to the Kahlun and Ashendorf families. Uh, the month of Kobru is dedicated in honor of Rachel Syed, donated by her children. And the week of Kobru is, is dedicated in honor of David E. Ash and his substantial capacity to do good today and every day by his good friend, Murray Dayan. This is the gift that keeps on giving. Today we have a pleasure and a privilege to have with us one of the pillars of the Syrian community, uh, Mori Avi, my, uh, my father, my master, Ham uh, Yitzchak uh, Farhi, who's going to share with us some words of Torah before, uh, before we uh, do the regular uh, class. Hazaku Baruch. I'm honored to be here this morning, to see the crowd, to see the Kahala Kadosh praying. You know, I come here once a year maybe, every other year, but every time I come, I see more and more people. And I see the spirit of the holiday still around. And I'd like to share with you a quick story. First of all, Rabbi Shlomo, I don't know if they have a Chayomit in the past. I heard it and I'm very happy because in Deal we start two years ago and we have Al Chayomid in the morning, Al Chayomid at night, uh, the, to fulfill the mitzvah, because not everybody has the time to sit down for the breakfast, they pray and they leave, which is okay. But people who have uh, no time, so at least they should fulfill the mitzvah of learning Torah, even if you learn two minutes, you fulfill the mitzvah, study Torah day and night. So Rabbi said, uh, uh, I just uh, heard the story that happened 20 years ago with Rabbi again, Nesimi again, Alava Shalom. It was a guy, uh, he was going to shul Friday night, and he drove his car to park in front of the shul. After the synagogue services, he comes out of the shul, and he's looking, the cars disappear. He went crazy. He said, I can't believe it. You know, not everybody in Israel has a car. Here in Manhattan, I know not too many people because it's hard to keep a car with the parking. But uh, in Deal, every family, they have four or five cars. The husband, the wife, the son, the daughter, you know. In Israel, not everybody can afford a car back 20 years ago. So Hazid, this guy has all his assets in the car, and he parked in the front of the shul and the storm. So now he comes home very devastated, and he tells his wife, I can't believe it, look what happened. So his wife happened to be a good one. She calmed him down, and she said, don't worry, you know, everything is fine, don't get ruined the spirit of Shabbat. Uh, some women maybe instigate more, make the husband go crazy, you see, he went to shul, and some women encouraging him, and depends if he's Shatova or Shalotova. Baruch Hashem, we have good women. Uh, anyway, so, so he goes uh, after shul. He goes home, he finishes Friday night dinner at home. Next morning, he goes to shul. He sees the car in front of the shul. They return the car. And they see the car, ticket on the car. It says, I'm sorry I took your car last night, but I want to tell you thanks to Rabbi again. It was a tape cassette in the car, and I was driving, listening to what they have in the tape. 
And I heard the speech for Rabbi again about not stealing. <laughs> so my conscience didn't let me to keep the car to steal on Shabbat, you know. You know, if a guy will hear the tape, I'm sure he won't do anything about it. But a Jew, he can make a move. And you know, when he, when he learns something, uh, people, they make a move. They make a change. That's how we always we have to connect ourselves to Torah and Mitzvot. Um, you know, just a couple of days ago, I got a phone call at 3 a.m. Rabbi Farhi, uh, my name is Sandat. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm here at the police station in Deal. Uh, please, I need you to come and uh, bail me out, take me out of the jail. I said, who are you? I don't know. He told me his name. I don't know the guy. And uh, I said, what happened? He says, I was driving, I was drunk, and he had an accident, and the police stopped him. Now they put him in prison, temporary. If you don't pick him up by the morning, uh, they'll take him to Freehold Prison. And when you go to Freehold Prison, forget about it. Over there, it's Shahwar. So... <laughs> So, at least deal police more uh, enemy. <laughs> I don't know if you know it, but anyway, so I said, uh, but now three o'clock in the morning. My wife heard the conversation. She woke up and she said, go, go, bail him out. That's Pedion Shvim. I said, you go. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it. I said, you know, the guy, in a way, he did something wrong. Why have to, he, he drank and he drove and he had an accident, you know? He has to learn not to, if you get uh, drunk, at least go to bed. Go to sleep until you so. Don't drive a car, it's very dangerous. You can kill somebody, God forbid. So anyway, I had Rahmanut, I said, let me ask you, what time are they going to take you to the freehold, to the bigger prison over there? He said, seven o'clock in the morning. I said, I'll be there 6.30, be ready, I'll pick you up. <laughs> I went to the police 6.30, I signed up. I don't know what I signed. I'm rushing to go back to shul. So I signed up, I said, yeah, yeah, I know the guy, I took him. And, he said, could you drop me off at home? So I felt good about it. In a way, I saved the Jew, even though that the deal police is not terrible, you know, but at least he helped a guy. And he has to learn his lesson. I told him, you know, you owe me something. He said, what? I said, you have to come to the shul, to the classes, Monday and Wednesday. <laughs> so this way we able, only through Torah, we'll be able to put us in the right place. So I would like to share with you a quick story here. Uh, actually, uh, from the book, uh, uh, Balaturim. Balaturim asked question, it says, how come uh, Adam Arishon, he ate from the fruit when his wife gave it to him? He said, you know, he's afraid of her. She was beating him up. One time, I got a phone call from a guy. He said, Rabbi, uh, please come. I have a promise my wife shall not buy it. I come home, 9 o'clock at his house, and I see the wife running after him with her shoes, with the high heel. She wants to hit him on the head. And he's going like this. So he ran, he ran to the bathroom, and he locked up the door. He left me with her, you know, in the living room. And I got so scared, what am I going to do? <laughs> I don't know what kind of woman's that. I never saw. I know man beat up his wife, but not the woman beat up their husband. <laughs> so, Baruch Hashem, uh, what I'm trying to say is that Hava, according... <laughs> you, don't, you hear only the good stories, but you have to ask the rabbi sometimes what the, a lot of stories behind it. In, in COVID, everyone, for, everyone else moved to the other. <laughs> so... So they ask, how come, how come you ate from the fruit? They ask Adam Marshall, according to Baal Turim. Very interesting. You know, every time when you learn something in Parasha, you have to find something new that you didn't learn before. So Baal Turim, he says, according to the Pshat, because she beat me up with the tree. She took the asaye and she beat up Adam Marshall. Kol, eat from the Eitzadat. Right? And, uh, and he was forced to eat. So it says, why Adam Marshall? He's a man. He's stronger than his wife. Why he didn't take the makel? 
the stick and he hit her back. He said, because, because he didn't have the tzarari yet. Because he didn't eat from the fruit. He's a pure guy, tamim. He didn't have the, uh, the urge or the nerve to heat up his wife because he didn't uh, make that one yet. So therefore, the tzara was not inside of him. And uh, we see from here that uh, it says when a person respects his wife, it says, that's why, because she was tough, so he's going, Hashem made, made the woman that the man's supposed to control her. When they made the Avon with the Etzadat, Hashem put curse on the man, on the woman, and the snake, and, uh, and the, the, the man supposed to say, well, uh, it's a curse on the man, he has to work hard to earn a living. And the woman, and you should have a hard time delivering children to go through pregnancy, and, uh, and from here we learn that the person who respects his wife, who respects his wife, he has easy on the parnasa. What the connection between the two? It says when you take the kilala away from your wife, and you don't boss her around, you don't drive her crazy, so it should make your life easier also. You take the kilala away from the man. no more. Why? Because he took out the kilala of Vahuyim Cholbach is going to control over you. So we see from here unbelievable lesson that how much a person says, the Gemara said that when you honor your wife, you bring Beracha. Don't go to work if your wife is upset. Try to peace with her, make her happy, and then go to work. Bezrat Shem Shibi Zokhe always to stay with the Torah because Torah Marbe Shalom, Marbe Hayim, Amen, Amen. Hazakubaru. Rabotai, we're going to have a shortened version of today's class because we've heard already such beautiful words of Torah. Hazakubaru Abba is very, very beautiful and, and, and a big honor for us to have to have words of Torah from you today. There's a very interesting pasuk that we find at the end of Parashat Noach. It says in the end of Parashat Noach, Ve'ach et dimchem l'nafshotechem edrosh. But the blood l'nafshotechem for your souls, edrosh, I will demand. What are we learning? What is this pasuk communicating to us? It's teaching us that if a person kills somebody, or Rashi says, if a person kills even themselves, I'm going to demand, I'm going to punish you, I'm going to take the payment, so to speak, because you had no right to be able uh, to end the life of someone. Now, what's interesting to me is that we choose the moment, the parasha of Noah, which you have all of humanity die to teach you this halakha. Now you're telling me, I'm going to demand, uh, what's it called? The, uh, the, the price of the blood, so to speak, of every person's neshama. Included, by the way, in this idea, uh, is a very similar concept. We have another mitzvah in the Torah. The mitzvah tells us, the pasuk says, And you shall be exceedingly careful with your lives. From here we learn that a person is not allowed to put themselves in a situation which is unhealthy, which has risk to their, to their health or to their life. Now, there's really no difference between um, understanding that you can't jump off the top of a building um, because that's asur, because the pasuk says you're not allowed to do that. You need to guard your life. And p- potentially smoking cigarettes. Anything which is not good for a person's health, technically a person uh, is forbidden to do so because of an ishmaitem or nafshotechem. From etimchem nafshotechem edrosh. Each of these pasukim, they express and they speak to the fact that God values Life. God values uh, uh, human life. Now to me, I think the reason why the Pasuk is communicating this here, specifically in Pirashat Noach, 
is because we're learning something here that is extraordinary. You know, normally, if a person thinks about the value of life from a Jewish perspective, you'd imagine that the value of life is the life of a tzaddik, the life of a person who's doing a good job. You have a guy who's barely breaking even. He's 52% averot, 48% mitzvot. On balance, the guy's not adding anything to this world. So his life should not be valuable. That's what you'd think. From the perspective of a Torah system that values a good life, a moral life, an ethical life, if a person is not living that kind of a life, what's the halakha? You'd imagine that that life is not so valuable. But yet, we don't hold that way. If you have someone who's not religious, they're still not allowed to commit suicide. They're still not allowed to do, engage in dangerous practices. I remember once there was a great rabbi. He sees someone standing outside of the Beit HaKneset and, uh, and he's smoking. And he tells the young man, he says, he says, you know, I really want to speak to you, but I'm in a rush to pray. Are you going to be here afterwards? The young man says, sure. Rabbi comes over to him after, after the slah. And the man's expecting the rabbi to yell at him for not coming to shul. How come you're standing outside the shul? You don't come inside. You know it's time for services. You're standing outside like almost like you're poking us in the eye that you're not walking in. The rabbi comes over to him afterwards and he gives him an hour-long talk about the dangers of smoking. Anyway, the guy at the end of the speech, he says, Rabbi, I hear you. I sincerely, I take it on board. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try and stop, etc., etc. He goes, but Rabbi, I'm surprised at you. You didn't yell at me for coming to shul. You yelled at me for... He says, look, I haven't seen you in shul in a very long time. What sticks out to me is not the fact that a non-religious person doesn't come to shul. Because you know what? He doesn't value shul. I understand them. I'm not going to push him to do something. He doesn't want to. He's not yet ready to do. But even as a person who's not religious, don't you care about your life? Don't you care about your health? You look like you're in good shape. You probably go to the gym. You're taking care of yourself. Wearing nice clothes. If you care about yourself, why would you not protect yourself, your health? And that's true about eating habits. It's true about drinking habits. It's true about, about smoking habits. It's true about drugs. It's true about everything. It doesn't make a difference whether or not the state makes something legal. The question is whether or not a person should or should not be doing something. Is this good for me or not good for me? The Torah chooses specifically this week's parasha. Why? Because in this story... The people corrupt their ways to such a point where the entire world is wiped out in the Mabul. But what did God think? What did God, what was his approach towards the Mabul? God asks Noah to build a teva for 120 years. He asks him to do something that God did not need him to do. HaKadosh Baruch Hu could have made Noah waterproof. HaKadosh Baruch Hu could have taken Noah and put him on the top of the highest mountain. He could have relocated him to Israel. Because at the highest point of Israel, of, of uh, Israel, the waters did not come, Chazal tell us. So there was places where he could, have been, he could have been saved. If God has many ways to save you from the flood, why does God make Noach build this teva for so long? And the rabbis explained, he was hoping, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to give the people of that generation a chance to see this tzaddik building a boat and ask him, Hagon, a tzaddik, Moriv Rabbi, why are you building a boat? You know that the ocean is 30 miles from here. And the guy would tell them, you know, it's true, the ocean is very far away, but the hurricane Mabul is coming soon. And it's, gonna, it's coming soon to a, a theater near you. And it's going to uh, sweep away your houses and everything that you could imagine. Everyone that you love is going to die and perish in the water unless you do Teshuvah. Every day they see the guy doing this. Hopefully, hopefully it will make an impression on the people. You see, Boreo Olam valued to the very last moment, the very last chance, he valued and gave the opportunity for people to be able to save their lives. 
Even the lives of what we understand now were complete rishaim. Each person had really, they corrupted their ways to the nth degree. And yet still, Boreo Olam loved them. Boreo Olam hoped for more for them. He hoped that they'd be able to survive. So the Torah tells you at the end of this, don't learn the wrong, the wrong approach here. Don't think to yourself that you should be rejoiced. Someone passed away, ah, the guy was no good guy anyway. You know, no great loss. You know, don't think that way. But rather, instead, the opposite should be true. Um, a person should feel that it's a shame that, these, that this happened, that the people did not perhaps, uh, were not able to do that before Teshuvah. I remember a very weird story that happened in my childhood and made a big impact on me. It was a fist fight in my father's synagogue. Abba, remember this, the, the story? Right in Deal? In, in Deal. A fist fight. What was the fist fight over? It was during the earthquake in San Francisco. And they opened up the Hechal, yes, yes, and they prayed, they did a Mishiberach for all the people, do you remember a terrible earthquake during the World Series actually? It cut off the broadcast, people were streaming to the stadiums, wild what was taking place. Many people died, many injuries, many deaths. They were praying in the Knis. And at the time, when uh, my father was doing the Tefillah, someone said, what are we praying for? All these people, they're all, uh, you know, they, they live different lifestyles, they do different things. What goes on over there in San Francisco, the type of uh, lifestyles that they lead, shouldn't be praying for them. Someone else actually stood up and said, what are you talking about? Human beings, we should pray, we should pray for them to be well, pray for them to do Teshuvah. They started having a fist fight in front of the Aron Kodesh. Remember that? Yeah, sure. Crazy. Last night, the person, his son, got married here in Park East. He got married here. That's, that's what, why I came to the wedding. That's probably what brought, my, brought him to my mind. Yes. Right? <laughs> now, you see, even in a situation of Ishchit Ko Basar Darko, even if there's a Hashchata, even if maybe they're not living the way the Torah would want someone to live, we don't wish that the person should die. That's what the Pasuk says over here. Just remember, even though this happened, don't make the mistake of learning the wrong lesson here and, uh, and experiencing. In, in fact, human life in all of its forms is precious. You know, we're fighting this battle today all across America of the value of a human life, both in the process of in the stomach before it's born up until the point of pregnancy, but also at the end of life where today uh, our, our, our world and our society is so mixed up, you know, that at the end of life, they're trying to end it for, before, before it starts. At the beginning of life, they're trying to end it before it starts. At the end of life, they're trying to end it before it ends. We're literally cutting off every part. You know, and it's the same people that are fighting for everyone to have health care. What the crazy world we live in, that you want to kill the person when he's young, you want to kill the person when he's old, but you know, in the middle, you want to make sure that he has universal health care. It's a strange world that we live in. You understand what's going on over here? My friends, this concept that the value of human life is always... And even if it's one second, by the way, the Gemara tells us, what happens if you could save the life of a guy forever? And the only thing you'll have to do is kill the life of someone who's about to die. So I'll give you an example. You have someone who's about to die. I know if I take his heart out while he's still living, and I plant it in this guy, this guy's healthy. He's going to live for another 100 years. Halakha is, even though he's going to die in 10 minutes, for 10 minutes, for 10 minutes, you can't kill him and give the heart to the other guy. There are cases, no question, where organ donations, when the person's already passed away, there's things that you could do within the first few minutes after death. But to end someone's life early, by the way, even with their permission, 
You don't have permission to end your life. In the same way, you're not allowed in Jewish law to end your own life. Like we saw from Rashi, Every second of life is valuable. Every minute of life is valuable. Every minute of life, when it's compromised religiously, when you're not the best person, is valuable. Because that's how we view, we view the world through that lens, through uh, being able to value and to see tremendous opportunity and potential in the lives of everyone, uh, of everyone around us. And when a person looks at the world that way, when they see potential, they see value in a person, even if they're not the best, even if they're not important, then you know what happens, a strange thing, the quality of everyone's life starts to improve. Because if someone else believes in you, you start to believe in yourself. I want to make mention of one other person uh, today, this morning. A beautiful shout out, perhaps, to someone whose arayat was yesterday, to Leon Betesh Alava Shalom. I remember Leon Betesh growing up from the synagogue. When he would sit in the class, this man, I don't know if any of you here know, knew him, but he oozed class. He had class to spare. He was always the sharpest guy. He had those glasses, the tinted glasses that he wore for so many years. His hair was always perfect. He had that beautiful gold watch, that beaten gold watch on his wrist. Uh, and when the class was over, every day, my father would sit in the shul for hours and hours and hours. And now I'm passing on that torture to my children that I never leave the synagogue. When they want to go, they want to leave after the bed class. I tell them, sure, two minutes. They know it's two hours, okay? So you're the rabbi of the bed class. You have things to do. So my father would stay in the shul afterwards to speak to people, to deal with people, with, hitting people with shoes. He had lots of things on his plate to take people out of prison, bail them out. <laughs> Meanwhile, that's his problem, not mine. So I had to go home. I wanted to go home. How did I get home? Leon Batesh, practically every day, would stick me in his gold-colored Jaguar, remember? And he would drive me home. And he would have a conversation with me on the way. He treated me when I was a little kid, like I was an adult, like I was the king of the world, wow. like he should be my chauffeur, right? What an amazing thing. When you see someone who looks at a child and treats a child like they're equal. He would ask me to tell him, he gave me this feeling like I was a somebody, like I meant something. I used to, as soon as I would come back from yeshiva, and even when I was a rabbi, if I would ever see him in the Beit Knesset, in the back, sitting in a wheelchair, I would run up to him, I would shake his hand. I had such respect for him. Why did I have such respect for him? Because he had such respect for me when I was a little kid. And he made me feel so important. And I think that's what we're learning about in this week's parashah. You know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he cares about everybody. And he makes plans, and he institutes, and he inserts people into people's lives to ensure that they have that person that they need that will help them grow in the right way. And I want to share with you a story uh, of, a, of a certain young man who approached me once and he was very emotional and he came to the Bet Knesset and he's telling me about how uh, this is a very emotional moment for him and I could see that he was, he, he, was, uh, he was very overcome and I said, what's going on? And he says, you don't know how important this meeting is for me, uh, how your words of Torah have found me where I live and it's very, and it's amazing, and it's really brought light to my life in a difficult time. I said, wow, that's so special. I said, but how did you find, you know, living where you live? How did you find these words? And he tells me, he says, the truth is I love music. And this young man says to me, I love music so much, and it really calms me down. I was looking for something. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of trance music. So I wanted, to find, uh, I wanted to find some music to calm me down. So I went on to Spotify, and I looked for my favorite playlist. Or maybe I was looking for something more, I don't know. And I always looked, the playlist that I looked for was called uh, A State of Trance, I think was the name of, of this playlist. 
And as he's looking, the state of trance, what does he see? The name of our podcast, which is a Torah state of mind. So not a trance state or a state of trance, but rather a Torah state, okay? And he's, what is this? Let me check it out. He listened to it. He really enjoyed it. He started listening every day. It made such an impact uh, on him. Now, I, I, I'm listening to this guy, and I was thinking, wow, that's really special. It's so, that's so interesting, so cool that you managed to do that. But it was only after he left that I thought to myself, wow, look at HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I remember the day that I was sitting in my office trying to come up with a name for the podcast. Because these classes, they had another name before they became a podcast. It was just called the Daily Torah or something like that, or, or, or Rabbi Farhi Daily or some other name. But when it came a podcast, someone said to me, you know, Rabbi, you should come up with a name for the podcast. Sitting there like a dib at my desk, which I call it, I don't know, thinking like this, thinking like that. Until finally I came up with something I thought it was catchy. I was like, oh, you know what? A Torah state of mind, you know, riff on a New York. Here's a New York state of mind, right? Okay, I'm thinking, wow, I got something here. Maybe that's going to be the, the name of it. I don't know what it is. I think it's catchy. I named the thing. But that's not what God was thinking. What God was thinking is that there's someone on, in some state of the world, in some place in the world, that there's going to come a time when he's going to look for something on his, in his Spotify list. And when he's going to search it, uh, he'll, I'll make sure that the name is close enough that he'll be able to find it. I, I was just going about my day, but God was guiding my thoughts to somewhere because he had a son. He had a, a child that he loved, and he knew that that child needed something. And he was making sure that that child ha would have what they need in their hour of need. How special is Edrosh? God says, I'm waiting for you all the time. I'm waiting for you no matter what. If you're young, if you're old, you're valuable. If you're healthy, if you're not, you're valuable. If you're righteous, if you're not, you're valuable to me. Every minute of life is a tremendous zechut, an unbelievable opportunity for growth. And we have to make sure to respect our own time. There was a Hasidish Rebbe who said, you know, there's a Jewish custom that you give a chatan a gold watch. Mine's not gold, it was stolen, okay? But you give a chatan a gold watch and they ask them, why, why where does this minag come from? To give a chatan a gold watch. And he said, so that a young man who's building a family should recognize that every minute is solid gold. How much time do we throw away in our lifetimes? Sitting there, scrolling, binging, vegging, reading the newspaper, doing stupid things. Not even necessarily bad things, not even the point, but just dumb things, things that don't matter, things that aren't important. And we've wasted all this time. And here's the crazy thing. You find the guy at the end of his life and you tell him, look, you know, I know things are dire, but I have a medicine, it will give you one more week. How much would the guy pay for at that moment for one more week? Anything. How much would the family give? You know, the guy is about to pass away, the machine's flatlining, the hospital guy says, look, I could bring him back for one hour, you know, but it's expensive, it costs $100,000. I could push the button, you want it? Family's like, yes, boom, another hour, wow. It is only when we experience the loss of something or the imminent loss of something that suddenly we're fighting like cats and dogs for life. The family is like, well, no, we need more time with him. Last week you didn't spend time with him, you had him. Two weeks ago you didn't call. Three weeks ago you didn't do anything. Only now, now in the hospital you're fighting for time. God says, look at this moment when humanity was wiped out. Remember it, bottle it, capture it so you understand and you always think of the value of human life. But not just at its end, but also in the quality, in the healthy living. 
think to yourself if you're listening to these words, and I'm sorry if you were trying to get the trance, but think to yourself when you're listening to these words, my friends, or anyone who's listening to this out there, what unhealthy things are you doing in your life that if you cut them out would have you live a longer life, a cleaner, a healthier life? What are you doing in your life that is just the biggest time waster? Where if you cut it out, you'd have time for more gemara, for more classes. My father said every day to learn halakha. There's something called halakha moment. My son-in-law puts out two halakot every day written out clearly. And if anyone wants to get it, you can go to halakhamoment.com and sign up for two halakot every day written out very, very beautifully. You can sponsor halakot there and teach people Torah. Unbelievable. My friends, life is a gift. Don't Throw it away. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve